Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 152 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Early Success, an interview with Rachel Barnes. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. So Matt, I really enjoyed this episode of our podcast because we captured someone who's at the early stages of her Lyme disease healing journey, and she's doing really well. So she's finished phase one and she's finished the antibiotic stage of her journey. And now she's moving to the healing stage of her journey, where she's now going to try to rebuild her immune system so she can defeat her Lyme disease. And Rich, Rachel was such a strong Lyme patient. She talks about getting bit almost a decade ago and then being told by her doctors that she's just hormonal by her primary care doctor. She was told that she's just fine when she was in a wheelchair and couldn't walk, but she continued to fight for her health. She finally found an article about Lyme disease and chronic Lyme and went to a Lyme literate doctor where she tested positive for Lyme disease, Bartonella, and Babesia. She's been treating for about the last year, and as you noted, has had major success early on in this treatment journey. Hey, Rachel Bonds, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Rich. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. And we're excited to have you for a lot of different reasons, Rachel. And I think it, we would be remiss if we didn't start out by giving a shout out to one of my favorite people in the world, Jackie Shea. So tell us about your relationship with Jackie Shea. I 100% agree. We should give endless accolades to Jackie. Um, so I actually heard Jackie on another podcast. Um, I'm blanking on the name, but I just said, huh. This sounds like someone I can really relate to and someone I really feel like could help me. And I just, I just had this calling to reach out to her. So I did. And um, let's see, that was like spring of last year. So I've been doing coaching sessions with her. Um, This is my second round and she's just been so helpful. She's been, you know, just, I I, I don't know what I would have done without her. Um, So Personally, it's it's something that I will forever appreciate for the rest of my life. So I, I have to share our Jackie Shea story before we begin your uh, journey. And that is, we first started this podcast, we were doing some research. I listened to Jackie Shea's podcast and I called her and asked her if she would uh, agree to be on our podcast, thinking she'd say no, because uh, we didn't know what we were doing and uh, we didn't have any, any, any following. And she was not only generous enough to join us on the podcast and gave us this brilliant podcast that resulted in me crying during the podcast, but she also was really generous with sharing with us um, how to put together a podcast. So she was just an unbelievably generous mentor to us as podcasters. So uh, now that we're 80,000 downloads in, um, we have to, uh, we have to uh, tip our hat to Jackie and all of the help that she's offered to us, um, you know, as an early mentor. So uh, shout out to Jackie Shea, everyone. We love Jackie and we strongly urge everyone to uh, listen to uh, the story that Rachel is going to share and consider working with Jackie Shea. So Rachel, let's talk about you. Where are you from? So this is an interesting question. I never know how to respond because I feel like my background is half and half. But um, so originally I am from Florida. I was born in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, and then grew up in St. Augustine, Florida, which is beautiful. If you've never been there. Um, and then when I was about 10 or 11, we moved up to Maryland and I was like, what is Maryland? (laughs) And, uh, what is this cold white stuff falling from the sky? And, uh, so moved there and finished kind of the second half of my childhood, uh, in this area. So, so talk to us about your health during your childhood. Were you a healthy kid? Were you a sickly kid? What was your health like during your childhood? So, Truly, I just had an amazing childhood, Um, wonderful family, wonderful parents. I think I was a pretty 
healthy, happy kid, um, you know, always outside playing, um, also inside playing Barbies and things like that. But, um, you know, I, I would not call myself a sickly kid. I will say I was, I was a premature uh, baby. So I often wonder, um, and funny, you should uh, talk about Jackie, but we were talking about this, you know, as that could have potentially been a very early trauma for me. Um, you know, just being premature, I was, I was born early and I was in that little, uh, you know, baby incubator for a few weeks. And, uh, my dad always tells a story about he, he went to visit me and my little hand just fit right on his thumb and, you know, he would go every day. And then my mom would have to, uh, she of course had a C-section. So my aunt was driving her up there to see me. Um, and so that, I think, you know, I guess that was a rough point for me starting out. Um, but after that, I would say I was a healthy kid. You know, I, I definitely got sick. I remember getting the chicken pox uh, very vividly. I remember getting, you know, flus and viruses and strep throat and all the things that the kids get. But, um, you know, other than that, I was a healthy, healthy, happy kid. So what were your dreams? What, what did you envision yourself doing when you grew up, when you were a child, both in Florida and in Maryland? So... I do recall, I wrote in a yearbook in elementary school in Florida that I wanted to be, I think one was I wanted to be a vet, which that quickly changed, but I, I did love, you know, little animals at that point, and I thought that's what I wanted to do. I think another one, I wanted to be a um, author and illustrator for children's books, um, which that that kind of uh, plays into where I'm not. I, I, I love writing. I've always loved writing. Um, very creative, like definitely not the math science person here. All, all art and, um, you know, which plays into now where I'm a, I'm a designer. That's my profession. And um, so always been very creative, but, you know, I just normal dreams. I wanted to, you know, have a job and uh, a career that I love and travel and spend time with friends and family, just, you know, normal things that most people want, I guess. <laughs> so as a child in Florida and then, uh, and then a child in Maryland, um, I'm assuming you, you had a good educational experience. You're clearly a very smart and articulate young lady. Um, during this educational experience that you had prior to going to uh, college, um, what did you know about ticks and uh, Lyme disease? funny you should ask that because uh my cousin and I were talking about this the other day um I still have a lot of family in Florida so um her yard so she actually lives next to where like we grew up living next to each other so she's kind of like a sister to me um but we were talking about this and she was like oh my gosh I'm finding so many ticks on my kids in the yard and it's it's crazy and of course I'm going through this journey and I'm like oh my gosh you know you better get bet your get your daughter tested for for Lyme and all this stuff um but and it, I was talking to my parents too like it's so funny I I never remember finding a tick on myself ever 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 not once in Florida or in Maryland and it wasn't a thing we were never taught to check for ticks um not really I mean it was like I knew what a tick was but I never really thought more than that um it was funny in Florida we there were plenty of other things, you know, like snakes and um, poisonous snakes, you know, so we were taught to look for things like that. And, um, but yeah, I mean, all those, all the years growing up, I just, I didn't know much about it. I had heard of Lyme disease. I just, I guess I never knew how serious it was or, um, and I didn't, oh my gosh, did not know how tiny ticks could be. 
So let's unbox this a little bit. So as a, as a child in Florida, either in school or somehow through some cultural information, you knew there were certain experiences in nature that you should avoid. For example, <laughs> yes. for example, snakes. And, and you took steps to avoid coming in contact with snakes, but you are not in your health classes or in any other educational experiences that you had in Florida taught anything about ticks or tick diseases? Not that I recall, nope. So let's talk about your educational experience in Maryland. When you went to, uh, when you went to school in Maryland, uh, was there any conversation about ticks or Lyme disease? Because we have, we have interviewed many people from Maryland uh, who have had, uh, had contact with ticks and are suffering from Lyme disease. No, again, I, I don't remember. So in middle school, we went to something called outdoor school, which was, you know, you, you go away from home for a week and you stay in a cabin with, you know, other, you know, girls or boys your age and you do hikes and nature walks and learn about, and I, I truly do not remember them ever saying that, you know, and maybe I'm just not remembering, but no, I don't remember even that week checking myself for ticks when we were out in the woods all day long, you know, so it's kind of ironic. So tell us, you know, from a, so we can have a context here, when did you first start to show the symptoms of what you now know to be Lyme disease? You know, I wish I knew. Um, I do, I do know that in like high school and college, like I got strep quite a few times, or at least what I assumed was strep and sore throats. But, you know, I, I really don't think I started feeling bad enough to where it was interfering with my life until, you know, a few years ago. Um, I will say, I don't remember obviously when I got bitten. I don't remember if it was, um, you know, a specific incident because I never found a tick. I never saw a bullseye rash. Um, I will say 10, 10-ish years ago, I had this weird summer, spring, flu. Um, I remember it very vividly and um, it went away. And then a few months later, I did have some knee pain and I remember going to the doctor. So I had been a runner, <laughs> a long distance runner in um, like high school. And I still kind of ran in my twenties and um, here and there. And I, my orthopedic um, specialist said, Oh, you have runner's knee. I'm like, okay. And so it went away. Like it would, it would kind of come on and off and but it, it wasn't interfering really with my life. There were a couple of weeks where I couldn't walk very well. And then uh, that kind of went away. So up until I would say like four to five years ago, I thought I was fine. Um, I do always think that I'm more tired than other people. And I don't know if that had something to do with it, you know, and maybe I did get bitten then and maybe it's been, you know, in me this whole time and I didn't know, but um, four to five years ago, one day I just got this just horrific migraine out of nowhere. And I had never in my life gotten a migraine. I didn't know it was happening to me. I thought I was dying of a brain tumor, to be honest. Um, I was sitting at my desk at work and all of a sudden it was like, I couldn't see out of my left eye. I was nauseous. I had a splitting headache on the left side of my head. Um, and so one of my coworkers had taken me to CBS to get some like Excedrin migraine. I couldn't drive. I was, you know, just a mess. And then I went home for three days and I called my friend who's my best friend, who's a nurse and asked her and she's like, yeah, it sounds like you're having a migraine. Well, after like three days, it didn't go away. It was still there. 
And so I ended up going to my primary care physician and, and I was like, listen, like, I really think I need to get an MRI. Like, I, I think I, I have a brain tumor or something. And she kind of, she was not the most helpful. Um, she basically was like, look, you have a migraine, people get migraines, you know, get over it kind of thing. Um, she did prescribe me some, uh, like a triptan medication and it did help. And then after a couple of days, it went away. Um, but it kept happening and, um, you know, kept coming back and they kept getting worse. And so, you know, that kind of led into like, I, I really think that was like the first thing that started the decline in my health was these headaches. So Rich, I want to walk back to, um, the knee pain and the summer flu that you had, uh, because it sounds like you did treat with doctors and it sounds like it was a bad enough flu that you would remember it for some reason. So let's talk about that. So why do you remember this summer flu as opposed to any other illness that you ever had at any time? Well, I remember thinking it was odd because I'm like, who gets, you know, this, like, I don't know if it was like May or June, you know, that time of year. And I was like, this is unusual. Um, and I remember it vividly because I was going to a concert and I was so upset because I just all, it just hit me like, you know, a Mack truck out of nowhere and I couldn't get up and I had a really bad fever and I had chills and, you know, it was for like a couple of days, but I, you know, like a trooper popped some DayQuil and, and went, but I remember afterwards, I was just like, I was done. I mean, I couldn't get up and, but I remember it because I think it tied to that, uh, that event. So how old were you at that time? Oh gosh. Um, probably around like 26, 27. So you had already graduated from college. Were you working? Where were you in your life at that time? Yes, I was working. Um, I was working as a designer um, at a firm in DC. Um, I was actually living in uh, North Bethesda at the time. Other than interfering with your enjoyment um, that you thought you would have at this concert, uh, did that uh, summer flu have any other impact on you or your life? Nope. I mean, I think it was gone in like two or three days. So now let's talk about the knee pain you started to feel and uh, you seeking out doctors. You said you were a runner at that time. Uh, yeah. What was the knee pain like and why was it so bad that you decided to treat with a doctor? So I, um, I had had like, you know, shin splints and things like that from running cross country. Um, I won't say I was a really good runner, but I, I ran. <laughs> Um, but I'm, I'm thinking that week. So I remember I had gone to the gym and I did, you know, a combo of kind of like walking and running uphill on the treadmill. And like the next day I legitimately couldn't walk. Like one of my knees just, I couldn't walk on it. And so, um, you know, I, I remember one of my friends, I think drove me there and I went, I just made an appointment with this. Oh, I will say, I knew this orthopedist. He was very close to my apartment. I knew him because I had broken my wrist snowboarding a few years ago and he had fixed me um, and amazing doctor. And so I was like, okay, I'll go see him. Um, and got it x-rayed. He looked at it and he's like, yeah, you know, I think, I think you have runner's knee, like do these stretches and whatever, and it should go away. And, and it was kind of off and on. Um, like I remember going on vacations and I would be very diligent about doing my exercises, but it, it, it really only got bad to the point where I couldn't really walk. I think, I think that time. Now, did that doctor ever suggest to you that you should 
treat with another doctor and perhaps be evaluated for something other than runner's knee? No. How did your symptoms progress from that point until the time where you started to have your migraines? Did you have any other symptomology that was impacting your health in any way? I mean, not that I can really recall. Again, I just, I think I, I was busy. I mean, I was a bit, very busy person. I was, you know, always out with friends, working hard, working late um, at the firm. Um, you know, I would, I would do exercise classes. I remember doing a lot of yoga, um, occasional running, you know, just, just an active, normal person. Um, I will say, I, I just always have felt tired. Like I, I remember just always being like, man, you know, like whatever, whatever time of day it is, I just feel like I can chill out and watch a movie. And, and um, so I don't know if that was part of it. Um, definitely some emotional, you know, some anxiety, some ups and downs with, you know, moods. And so I don't know if I can attribute that to Lyme or not. You know, it's, it's again, things that could or could not be Lyme. So let's talk about your fatigue. Um, what was the fatigue like? And why did you believe that the fatigue was something that was just normal for a busy gal? I think just because I was so active and I, I really would push myself. I mean, there were nights that, you know, we would work late, um, you know, and then, or whatever, you know, normal things, go out and go and have a few drinks and hang out with friends. And okay, maybe I just had a couple <laughs> too many glasses of wine. I'm just tired, you know, or, um, but I think, you know, people too would just say that, you know, like, oh, it's normal. You know, you work so hard, like you're tired, you know. All right. So now let's, let's get to the point where you're now about four or five years ago, you're living this very busy life. So let's talk about your work life. Let's talk about your personal life. And is there anything going on in your life that you think could have caused you to suppress your immune system or could, could have caused a suppression of your immune system to now let this Lyme disease take off? So I, I can't really pinpoint anything specific. Um, you know, I think there were some, there were some relationship things. Um, I had, you know, gone through a breakup, um, around that time, which was difficult for me. So I guess that could have attributed, um, working hard. You know, I, I switched jobs about seven years ago. And, um, so that was maybe around the time where I was still new at that job and it was stressful. Um, I mean, work is always stressful, you know, it's just something you can't really get away from. So, um, of course, there were fluctuations in that. Um, but other than that, I mean, I really can't, you know, it wasn't like there was a death in the family or a car accident or anything like that. I would say it was more emotional um, things and ups and downs. But your emotions, of course, are a very important part of uh, immune health. And, yeah. and stress is a very important part of immune health. And you know, we've had many guests on this podcast, Rachel, who have gone through a life change like a breakup uh, that, that has ultimately been an immune suppressing event or an immune disrupting event that now results in this opportunistic disease taking off. So I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be so, um, yeah. I, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I wouldn't be so generous with myself about saying, Hey, um, you know, I didn't have someone die in my family, but, you know, we, we mourn differently and stress presents differently in each of us. And, uh, and that's one of the reasons why we ask our folks when we're going through these, uh, these stories to focus on what was going on in their lives around the time when these events are taking off. And in many cases, we will attribute something to being an emotional illness or an emotional response when, in fact, it's now a physiological response that's triggered by an immune disrupting event. Right. So 
And it's, well, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it's, it's funny you say that because I, I mean, of course, I think most people with, who get chronically ill like this, you know, like I retraced my life and the steps and everything so many times in my head thinking, you know, did something happen? Where could I have gotten bitten? Like, when was this moment that my life changed forever? And, you know, and in, in those past years around when that started, you know, yeah, I, I clearly live in an endemic area. It could have been, you know, walking outside. Um, but I also had gone camping in Pennsylvania. Um, I went to Maine to, you know, with some friends and, you know, was in the woods, was kayaking, you know, those things. Um, so there's just, I also was, I remember thinking I was at another concert. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, we sat on the lawn. Like maybe I got bitten then that was like right around the time that was like two weeks before I got this migraine, you know? So I, it's just so hard to know. It is hard to know, and 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 it could be that there were a combination of things that were happening, and and uh, you could have been reinfected. You could have been affected during your childhood. You you could have been affected during right. your young adult life, and you're still a young adult, but but at, at a younger stage in your adult life, and then you could have been reinfected, and uh, you know a combination of events, including you know immune disrupting events, um, could have put you in a position where your immune system was just not in a position where it could could. Uh, could manage it. And, you know, because you've been to so many different tick endemic communities, we have to invite you out to Long Island. We call Long Island the Lyme Belt. So you yeah. might as well, you might as well visit it all, right, Rachel? Well, and, it's funny you say, so my mom grew up in East Meadow. Um, and so, yes, as a kid, we visited Long Island and, and my grandparents lived in Connecticut. So every year we were in, I mean, it's, it's, Seems to me you were you were bound to come in contact with ticks when you were in all of these different elements of the Lyme belt. And uh, unfortunately, during your childhood and during your health educational experience, you didn't receive the training you needed or the information you needed to remain um, healthy. Uh, and, and and I think it's just ironic. Again, I'll just make this observation before I let Matt begin his uh, questions. Uh, I think it's ironic that uh, you were trained on how to avoid snakes, which I think were very unlikely to come in contact with, but you were certainly not trained to um, to protect yourself from uh, ticks, which you are very, very likely to come in contact with, certainly when you're spending a lot of time in the Lyme Belt and coming to Long Island and to Connecticut. So, um, so talk to us a little bit about how your, your symptoms began to develop now four or five years ago, and what impact this was now having on your life, meaning how is it interfering with your social life and how is it interfering with your professional life? So from the headache starting, it just really continued to get worse. Um, you know, I, it was to the point where I was basically having migraines or that feeling more days than I wasn't. Um, you know, I remember my, my mom and I went on a trip. We like to take a, a mom daughter trip, you know, once a year, although that hasn't been happening lately. Um, and we were <clears throat> on vacation and I just remember like we were going to go to dinner and I, I could barely function, you know, I was like, and I was popping these migraine pills like candy and they just kind of stopped working. Um, and so, you know, that was really how it started, but it was, it was scary migraines. You know, I was like, they call them complex migraines or, you know, hemoplegic migraines. I think I'm saying that correctly, but it was like, you know, can't see out of your eye. Um, I was getting numbness and tingling on one, like stroke symptoms, basically, you know, it was, it was really kind of terrifying. And um, so I went to another primary care and again, she kind of told, like she rolled her eyes at me and 
I said, listen, I'm not asking anymore. I want a scan of my head. And if you're not going to give it to me, I'll go to some other doctor until they will, you know? So it was around that time that um, I kind of had this, you know, I consider it to be my first really like limey episode where I was getting numbness and tingling like on, on my legs and arms, um, like peripheral. And then that headachey, migrainey feeling, the pills were not helping. I was nauseous. I was dizzy. I was exhausted. I just, I was like, something is wrong. And um, I was waiting at that point to get into a neurologist. I did finally get my <laughs> MRI of my, you know, brain and neck, and it was totally normal. And, you know, the doctor left me this message saying like, you know, okay, it's normal. Like I told you it was going to be kind of thing, like, you know, very almost condescending. Um, and I was like, all right, well, I'm still going to see a neurologist. So, and it was around that time that, you know, those symptoms just started to get worse on and off. Like I was, I remember walking in, I was in Walmart of all places and I'm holding onto the shopping cart. And I was like, oh my gosh, like something is wrong. Like my, it was mainly the left side of my body at that point, but it was like, just the whole left side was numb and just felt, you know, weird, like wrong, something was wrong. And then, so it was like this numbness, this tingling, this parisia, and, um, and then it would be off and on. Um, and so I did go to a neurologist and we talked and he was very thorough. Um, he did so many tests, you know, um, everything was coming back normal. He was testing me, of course, for all the autoimmune MS, for lupus, for, you know, whatever else I can't think of right now. Um, and then he did, um, I was also having some really severe back pain, like lower back pain. Um, so he basically did MRIs of like my whole body, you know, and everything was normal. I mean, there was some like, you know, a little bit of like disc stuff, which is just, you know, from getting older, wear and tear, like being active, skiing, snowboarding, whatever, you know? Um, and then it was so ironic. He's like, okay, um, you know, I, I think you're, you're good to go. You're, you're a normal, healthy, healthy girl, go live your life. And, and they had also done this muscle testing with me, um, and nerve testing where they stick these little, uh, I forget what it's called, but you know, they stick these little things in your muscles in your leg, then test your they also did a sleep study, um, like an EEG and EMG. Um, I mean, so many tests. It was just crazy. Um, everything was normal. So then I'm leaving his office and I, that week I remember he's telling me that and my right knee started hurting and I'm like, okay. And so I remember being in his office and he's telling me I'm healthy and I can move on and he'll see me in like, you know, six months for a follow-up. Um, he had also switched my migraine medicine. Um, and, uh, the next week I just, I couldn't walk like that knee just got worse. And I was like, okay. So at this point I was, I was very active doing, um, reformer Pilates, like two, three times a week. Um, and that was really my main, uh, form of exercise or like going for long walks or whatever. But I, I was obsessed with this class and I just loved it. And, um, I was like, okay, well, maybe I, you know, tweet something, whatever. Well, it got worse and it moved into the other knee. So it was both knees and I'm like, okay. So I went back to my orthopedist and, um, this was after about a month of just like resting and, 
trying to stay off it and it wasn't getting better. It was getting worse. Um, I also noticed my legs were sort of this weird, like blotchy looking, just like reddish, you know, color. Like it was just clearly it was inflammation. I didn't know it at the time, but that's what was happening. And I was like, okay, like they just looked kind of like puffy and not right. You know, I don't think anyone else would have noticed. Um, but during this time, you know, I'm trying to work like I'm, you know, as a, as a project manager and a designer, like I'm, I'm trying to go to job sites. I'm trying to go to meetings. I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm having trouble just walking normally. And so I went to the orthopedist and he again did x-rays and examined me and he's like, okay, you know, I think this is from your class. I think you've got some, some patellar tendonitis. I'm like, okay, in both legs. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> like, okay. So then I started physical therapy and he also had given me some, um, like an anti-inflammatory, um, which did nothing, literally nothing. I mean, I was popping like Tylenol and ibuprofen, like, you know, again, like candy along with the migraine pills. And, um, it, it wasn't even helping, like it didn't even do anything. Um, and so I was doing physical therapy and it was just, I, I have to say this was one of the worst experiences of my life because, and I love this physical therapist. He was amazing. He helped me with my wrist. Um, and this whole time, you know, I'm like, I think they just thought I was a huge baby because I'm trying to do these exercises and I'm just sitting on the table sobbing, you know, like it's just killing me. And I, I would sit in my car, like it hurt to drive. So um, sorry, I get emotional just talking about it, but it was, I mean, it was so awful. Like I looked fine on the outside, but I literally thought I was dying and I'm like, what is wrong? Like it just, it kept spreading and getting worse. Eventually it was in my feet and ankles. Um, and so in the fall, I mean, this was after months of, of forcing myself to go and it was just getting worse. Um, you know, I went back to see the doctor and he's like, all right, I think we just need to take a break. Why don't you just rest? So all I was doing was rest, ice, rest, ice, rest. Ice. Like I could barely do anything socially. You know, I was like, I remember being in the grocery store, trying to push the shopping cart and like, I couldn't carry my groceries. And it just got to the point where I was like, I would go to work and then I would basically sit at my desk all day and try not to get up as much as possible like I wouldn't drink anything so that I wouldn't have to walk to the bathroom down the hall, you know, I, and then, um, you know, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. So my whole body like just started to hurt and I could tell by around like Thanksgiving. So basically like from May to like the end of the year, it just got to the point where I was like completely like debilitated, you know, I was forcing myself to go out, but I really, it was so painful to do anything. Um, so that, that just kind of <laughs> was, was the worst of it. And then, um, I remember for Christmas, um, that year, my brother was going to Florida. So we still have a lot of family in Florida and I tried to go every year, um, to see everyone. And I, I remember calling him and just crying my eyes out. I'm like, Greg, I can't go, you know, like there's no way I can't, I can't walk in the airport. I can't walk that far. And so he's like, all right. So he booked my flight. He picked me up. He got me a wheelchair and wheeled me through the airport. And that was the only way I was able to go, you know? And, um, I was so embarrassed because I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I was walking with crutches, like, and even that hurt because I'm like, my arms hurt. Like 
you know, it was like, how do you walk with crutches when both of your legs are killing you, you know? <laughs> so I was doing that. And I remember in Florida, you know, it was just, I was sitting on the couch with him and I was just crying. And I was like, you know, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I think like I might be dying, like something's really wrong, you know? And, um, he, uh, he just hugged me and he's like, we're going to figure it out. It's going to be okay. You know, like my brother was just, he was a lifesaver, um, that trip. And, um, so at that point I had emailed my physical therapist guy, um, who has a doctorate in physical therapy. And he said, you know, he said, I think you should go see a rheumatologist. Like, let's, let's do that. And maybe, you know, um, and mind you, this is coming from him, not my doctor. This is coming from my PT guy. Um, and so I did, I made an appointment. I couldn't get in until I think the end of January. So all during this time, I also went to see a, um, a functional medicine practitioner who one of my friends knew. Um, I started seeing her in the fall. And so she had tweaked my diet, put me on some supplements. And she's like, yeah, something is clearly going on with you. I'm not sure what it is. Um, oh, let me backtrack for a second. When I went back to see my neurologist, I had asked him to run a Lyme test as well as a rheumatoid arthritis test, um, which he did. He didn't complain. Um, and I think it was the Western blot. Um, both came back normal and negative. Um, let me stop you there for a second, Rachel. Why did you ask for a Lyme test at that point? And why didn't you ask for a Lyme test at any time before that? So of course me, you know, trying desperately to find out what was wrong with me. Um, I was Googling like nonstop. I mean, I was up, it was probably most of my day was spent online, <laughs> you know, researching things. And, um, I was up at like 3 a.m. one night because of course I couldn't sleep and trying to find out what was wrong. And I remember, you know, I kept Googling like tendonitis and knee pain and all these other things. And like things about Lyme kept coming up, um, like joint pain. And I was like, okay. And so it was kind of in the back of my head. Well, I told my functional medicine practitioner this and she was the first person who ever said to me, you know, there's another test that is more accurate. And if things don't improve, we might want to go down that road. But now Rachel, you, you've gone to several doctors and mm -hmm. none of the doctors that you're treating with at this time have ever even talked to you about Lyme. But when you put your symptoms into Google, Lyme keeps coming up. So yeah. talk to us about why you think perhaps Google was properly diagnosing you and the doctors you, weren't, you were treating weren't diagnosing you. And properly. And one of the things I have to ask is part of this question is, do you think your gender played any role in their fail in your, in the failure to properly diagnose you? Because you keep saying that people are essentially implying that you're a baby or you're, you know, you don't have a high pain threshold or so un un unwrap all that for us. I, you know, I don't know, like, uh, I guess a guy with these symptoms, you know, I think they probably would take them more seriously because, you know, I'm like, that's why I literally in the back of my head, I'm like, am I crazy? Or do these people just think I'm being dramatic? Am I being dramatic? You know, no, I know that something is wrong with me. I know when my body doesn't feel normal, but do I think there was some of that? Maybe, um, you know, I, <laughs> I don't know if it was gender as much as they just thought I was a huge whim. Um, but you know, that's, I guess, speculation. I, I don't know if I'll ever really know. I, I think maybe, maybe a little bit. Um, I do think I got that some from my primary care. Like she was like, okay, you know, you're hormonal, you get migraines, just kind of deal with it. Um, like everyone else. 
But Rachel, when you when you scrape out the emotional piece of this, right, and you just have an algorithm reviewing the information you're putting in, the diagnosis keeps coming back line way before you were finally diagnosed. But when we bring in the emotion and we bring in the human component of doctors interfacing with you, no one even mentioned it to you. You had to no. demand the test. No one mentioned it. Um, my neurologist was not you know, opposed to me getting the test. Like he didn't say anything at that point, but I think his attitude was kind of like, okay, I figured it was going to come back negative. Um, so yeah. And I, and I think what it is, is this is what happens, you know, with Lyme, which, you know, we've all learned is that there's so many pieces to this puzzle and none of the doctors put them together. They're just, there's so many symptoms that could be something else or look like something else or present like something else. And it's like, I mean, what, you know, it's, it's like you have a problem with every part of your body. I mean, what do you, what's wrong with you? You know, oh, you're just being dramatic or, or it's, you know, maybe it's in your head. I do think, um, I remember the neurologist saying sometimes, sometimes you have symptoms that don't have an explanation. Let's talk about how your family and friends were reacting to um, Rachel's developing uh, symptoms, which on some level, you're even doubting whether or not you are sick. So how, how are your, you did share with us, your brother was a, a, uh, a bright light in this, but was everybody a bright light? Were there other family members who were thinking that perhaps you were dramatic and not really sick? And do you have any friends thinking that perhaps you were being dramatic and not sick? So I think my family, like, um, so most of them are not here. And so I did a pretty good job of like, I kind of kept it quiet ish because I was trying to really figure out what was going on and um it wasn't really until the holidays came around where I was going to see them that it really you know came out like obviously I was telling my mom and my dad and my brother and but I didn't really like announce to my whole extended family that you know like I remember my aunt called me and she's like oh my gosh like I, I didn't realize you were having so much trouble like you know and she sent me a sweet card but again no one really really knew what was going on until Christmas um, when I was there on crutches, you know. Right. But, but Rachel, um, you know, part of this journey is, is, is a psychological journey, right? Or an emotional journey. And, you know, our own mind will undermine our plan to heal, right? We'll doubt ourselves. And then what happens is intimate people in our lives will sort of add to that and increase the doubt that we have. And other people that we come in contact with, who they be, uh, co-workers or doctors or other people who are we don't necessarily have an intimate relationship with, but are also impacting us. So talk to us about how all of those people in your life, whether it be colleagues, friends, family, were sort of contributing to the doubt that you had about whether or not you were sick or not. Well, it was interesting at work because, you know, again, I didn't know what to think. So I think, I, I don't know what most other people thought. I mean, people were trying to be nice and considerate and like do meetings for me or like, you know, just do a phone call or, you know, I remember my, my boss was very sweet and she's like, you know, I hope, I hope we figure out what's going on, but it was, it was not, I don't think people really understood the pain that I was in. You know, I, I do remember I was, I was in the bathroom one day and I was just crying. And this, this person from another floor who worked at another company, you know, a tenant in our building just said, you know, are you okay? Like, can I help you? And I was like, I just don't know what's wrong with me. And I, I just like 
unleashed on her. I didn't even know her. I was sobbing and I was like, you know, cause she's seen me going out of the bathroom with like barely being able to walk. And um, so I, I don't really think people were doubting me. I think they were probably as confused as I was about why all of a sudden this girl just couldn't walk, you know, like it, it was, it was weird, but I will say like in the fall when it started to get really bad, like I would force myself to go to things with friends and it was getting to the point where people were kind of like, okay, why are you avoiding doing things with us? Like, you know, you know, people were trying to be supportive, but again, they didn't really know what was going on. Um, I did have one friend who, who flat out came to me and said, why don't you ever want to spend time with me anymore? Like she was really angry and hurt. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry. I, you know, it's not you, it's not that I just, I'm sick, like something's wrong. And, you know, so it, it did kind of start to really get to that point. Um, and, um, I was just continuing to force myself to go places and, you know, just suffer through it. And then I would come home and just cry and not move from the couch for two days, you know? So, um, Rachel, but, that, that's totally understandable that you don't know what's going on with you. You're trying to push through. Your friends are seeing that you're not your normal self anymore. And so much so where your neurologist is running a Lyme test, thinking you don't have it because you're basically forcing him to. Yeah. And then it comes back negative and he's kind of saying, I told you so. And then thankfully you went to a functional medicine doctor who implemented some of these diet changes that probably helped you a little bit before your diagnosis, but then also brought to your attention that these Lyme tests aren't great and recommended, it sounds like an hygienics test to, to get some definitive testing for Lyme disease. So walk us through that piece of your journey. So she, um, she's amazing. Um, and I, I had heard about her through a friend and I was confiding in my one friend um, about what was happening because she knew, knew my uh, functional medicine person and had kind of referred me to her because they were friends. And um, so Heather, she, this was the practitioner, she, you know, she did, you had to have a really open mind. She did Reiki, she did body talk, you know, um, she did acupuncture, which I'm terrified of needles and I cried the whole time, but um, she did that. And so we didn't really, she did a lot of blood work. We didn't really revisit the Lyme at that point, but it was kind of on the back burner. Like she was like, I've never, I've never seen it present this way in someone. I'm not, you know, I don't, she's like, I'm not sure that that's what you have, but, but she did mention that there was another test. I don't think I knew the name. Um, and then in between kind of seeing her and adjusting my diet, you know, and reading things online. And, and so around Christmas, when I was in Florida, I remember like my feet and my ankles, like were swollen and like so red, like it hurt to even, it hurt to wear pants. You know, I think that was nerve pain too. Um, it hurt to put shoes on. Like I didn't want anything touching my skin. And that Rachel, I'm sorry, really I'm sorry to interrupt Rachel, but this is a really important topic that we don't hear enough about. And we've heard from people offline that you, your skin becomes so sensitive that you literally cannot wear pants. You literally cannot either yourself or have somebody else touch your skin lightly, gently, or even brush up against your skin. Is yeah. that what you were feeling? Yes. Yep. And, and still to an extent, like <laughs> it's embarrassing to say, but just recently has it gotten to the point where I'm like even wearing pajama pants and without thinking about it, like it, it, it's, it was to the point where I couldn't even touch my own legs. So talk to us more now about your 
your functional doctor. Is that the doctor who ultimately diagnosed you with Lyme disease or did you have to pivot to several other doctors before getting your diagnosis? Several others. Um, she did not. Um, she, she was the first to kind of go down that road and, and suggest that I, um, you know, that, that we maybe look into that if the things that she was implementing were helping. And did they help with all the Reiki, the body talk, the acupuncture, a lot of these holistic approaches? Because they may have helped the Lyme disease a little bit, potentially. I think a little bit. Um, the diet, um, I think, made me feel a little better. Um, but, you know, and the acupuncture was interesting. Like, she would do it and the swelling and redness would kind of go away in my legs, but it would come back within, like, a day or two. Um, so, you know, I do think it helped. And I think that it really opened my eyes to some of the more natural and homeopathic options that are out there, but it was not ultimately what um, led me to my <laughs> diagnosis. Now talk to us about that period between your functional doctor and your diagnosis. Did your symptoms develop any further? Were there any new symptoms? And what occurred during that time period before you finally found your final doctor and got your diagnosis? Yeah, so I um, I made the appointment with the rheumatologist, couldn't get in, so I was waiting for that. Um, my, I was starting to get a lot of swelling. So like my, it was very scary. Like <laughs> it was like two or three toes at a time would be extremely swollen and painful. Um, and it would kind of like alternate with, with which foot, like my ankles too, very swollen and painful. Um, just pain everywhere. Like I remember having, you know, the knees of course were always the worst, like that area, but I don't know that it was so much, you know, it was joint pain, but it was more like it was in my tendons, like my, you know, it was like tendon and muscle and nerve pain, like just to the point where my legs were just literally could, I could barely move, you know? Um, and so what I was doing during that time was just frantically still Googling and I came across this article that um, this girl had written and it, it was called, um, it said, chronic Lyme um, nearly ruined my life. I was 30 and in a wheelchair or something along those lines. And I'm like, oh my God, this is me. And so I read it and I was just, I was beside myself. I was sobbing. I was like, this is literally me. I mean, she, it was the same thing. Doctor after doctor kept telling her she had tendonitis. She couldn't walk anymore. It was like, I was like, oh my gosh. And so, um, I honestly give a huge, um, credit to me healing to, uh, Stephanie. It was Stephanie. Um, hopefully I'm saying her name right. Uh, Echo camp. She's a writer. She writes for mind, body, green. She, um, she's been amazing in my journey. I mean, I, I didn't reach out to her until later on after I figured out what was wrong, but I mean, I ultimately owe her <laughs> my life and figuring out what was wrong with me because that is what that article online is what made me say, you know what, screw it. I am going to make an appointment with a Lyme doctor. I don't care what anyone else says I'm getting tested. And I went. Rachel, what, what always makes me so what really makes me so um, proud about our guests or during these interviews is that you were so sick and you saw so many specialists, yet you continued to research. You came up with Lyme. You were dismissed and kind of laughed at by your neurologist. Then your functional doctor really kind of put it on the back burner. You then found this article. You knew 
this is what you had. And then you went to a Lyme later doctor to demand the testing to get the proper diagnosis that you knew you had after being so sick. So walk us through what that was like when you went to this monitor doctor and what testing they did and how it was different than all the testing you've had done before. So I went and, um, you know, it was the first doctor who really, I mean, I was probably in there for three to four hours. She listened to me, um, just every symptom, every story, every test she, you know, it was, it was a refreshing experience to just have someone spend that much time with you and really listen. And, and I said, well, what do you think, you know, is this Lyme? And she said, you know, um, she said she had never seen it present exactly like this. And she said, but I'm, she said uh, it, it could be. So she of course ran, you know, all the blood panels. I think I had 12 or 14 tubes of blood taken that day. I was not a very happy person because I do not enjoy needles. Um, but uh, she did the hygienics uh, test. She ran, you know, labs for every. And the other <laughs> very interesting thing is this whole time there was no, um, there was no, nothing abnormal about any of my blood work, really, other than the Lyme eventually. But, but really nothing was off. None of the inflammation markers were up. None of the you know, none of the CBC was abnormal. It was, you know, I think I was a little low on like iodine or something random. Like it, it wasn't anything that was like, whoa, this girl's sick. Her blood work is, is off. Um, and so she also ran an hygienics test for Bartonella because of my, some of my symptoms. Um, so it was just, it was a very different experience. It was just, it was almost like, okay, I found my people. Like they, they're, they're not saying I'm crazy, you know? And then of course um, it came back, it came back positive. Like all the other blood work came back and we were waiting on hygienics. And I remember sitting at my desk at work and I got an email from them and it said, your results have come back uh, significant for active Lyme disease. And I just, you know, I was hysterical. I was my desk at work. I remember just, oh my God, oh my God, like, thank God. Like, I finally know what's wrong with me, <laughs> you know. So Rachel, what friction was there that caused you to wait so long to see a Lyme specialist? You were doing your Google work and Google was telling you you had Lyme disease, yet you went to many other doctors before you went to a Lyme specialist. What was the friction or what limitations caused you to wait as long as you did? So I think it was, you know, most other people kind of dismiss it. And I was kind of like, okay, well, if they don't think I have it, then I don't. I took a Lyme test and it's negative. I didn't know at that point that the tests are 50% accurate or worse. You know, I had no idea. I was like, well, why would it come back negative if I had it, you know? And my, so the rheumatologist ran, you know, he did x-rays of everything. Um, and, you know, it was all normal. Like, and, and I told him, I said, well, I'm waiting on the hygienics test. And he, he, he was the worst. He laughed me off and he said, you don't have Lyme disease. I've seen Lyme disease. And I said, okay, well, I still want to, I still want to wait and see, you know, maybe I do. Um, and I said, well, what do you think is wrong with me? And he said, I don't know. I'm kind of baffled. Why don't you come back in three months? We'll see if it gets worse. I'm like, cause I was thinking like I had you know, rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, you know, because of the tendon pain and the joint swelling in my toes. And, 
you know, I was fully prepared for all of these things. I was, you know, like, that's what I was expecting. And, but he definitely laughed me off. I called him when I got my positive result and he actually made it worse and said, well, uh, hygienics <laughs> is, is not something we, uh, we believe in or something along those lines. And I said, well, it's not just hygienics. My CDC test is positive too. And he, you know, he didn't really want to hear that. So I just decided I'm not going to go see him again. Um, and same thing with the neurologist. I was excited. I, I called him and made an appointment for a Zoom and I, I showed him my results. And he was like, he, it basically was like a switch to a different person. Like the doctor I had known and who was caring and understanding and who I had trusted all this time was like a different doctor. He basically shut down and said um, that he didn't really believe in Lyme. And Rachel, that's not uncommon, unfortunately. There are many doctors who don't believe in Lyme because that's what they were taught. And in your case, it sounds like you were eventually diagnosed with Lyme disease, Bartonella, and Babesia. But understanding that even the best labs in the world are still not perfect, it sounds like you had to use Igenix for your Lyme diagnosis, Galaxy Labs for your Bartonella diagnosis, and LabCorp for your Babesia diagnosis. Is that correct? Yeah, so the Babesia came back negative, but I'm I'm still not convinced that I don't have it, and I may explore that further. Um, my Lyme doctor now, um, who's actually my third Lyme doctor, um, and he's wonderful, he doesn't think I clinically have the symptoms, but we're not ruling it out. Um, but yes, I did get tested with LabCorp. It came back negative, and I said, he said, well, for what it's worth, it's negative, but that's not a very accurate test. But yes, Galaxy um, for Bartonella, which for the first six months of treatment, I didn't know that I had Bartonella because the, even the hygienics came back negative. It was so elusive. So that was a huge, I think, hurdle in my healing journey so far because I was not being treated for the Bart. So let's talk about what this Lyme literature doctor did to treat you once you had a positive Lyme test from hygienics. So um, she put me on, th so this, this um, Lyme doctor group, they are, I won't say uh, Horowitz um, totally, but they're, they're a combination, I would say, of, of natural and like herbal and antibiotics. So, and they're, you know, my doctor now he's, he's wonderful and he's extremely open to kind of everything, but they also have a hyperbaric oxygen chamber there and things like that. Um, but she did start me on conventional antibiotics. I, tr I popped some do doxycycline thinking, oh, cool. I'll be better in a month or two, uh, having no idea what was, what was in store for me. Um, I immediately threw that up within like 20 minutes. It was horrible. And I felt sick for like the next six hours. So I think I was allergic to doxy. Um, but she then put me on um, minocin, minocycline for a few months and then biocidin um, and some supplements. So that was like the first thing. Um, and then we kind of tweaked it. She added in azithromycin, which was brutal for the stomach. Um, so I was kind of, I was pulsing antibiotics three weeks on, one week off, three weeks on, one week off. Um, and then also like doing some herbal supplements, she added, um, not sure how to say this, uh, it's Baluk. Um, it's like this earthworm uh, thing um, that's supposed to help with circulation. Cause I kept telling her, I'm like, my legs are so red and like, you know, I like, I can't stand for more than a couple of minutes. So, but anyway, so I did antibiotics for, and this sort of regimen. Um, I also at one point switched to chlorothromycin as opposed to azithromycin 
just because my poor stomach couldn't handle it anymore. Um, and so, you know, I did notice some improvement, but, you know, after like 10 months of antibiotics, I just, I, I just recently, like two months ago, made the decision that I just, I don't want to do them anymore. I don't think it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of now moving towards the herbals and some other natural things to treat. Um, and within that time, I also found out I have candida, which I'm sure is from the antibiotics. Um, yeah. I did some further testing um, with a second Lyme doctor which I will give him a lot of credit because he discovered a lot of things. He was like, you for sure have Bartonella. I don't care what the tests say, you have it. Um, even though Galaxy did eventually come back with that. The Candida, I also got, did the mycotoxin and oat test, um, organic acid test. So the mycotoxins were pretty, pretty off the charts um, in some areas. So there was mold mycotoxins. Um, this doctor also said I, he thinks I have mast cell activation due to the Lyme. Um, oh, I forgot that nice symptom. So for like a year or two, I was getting rashes all over my body um, that no one could quite figure out. Um, and it did, it did turn out I had a gold allergy. So that was part of it, which may have been triggered by the Lyme because I never had that before. Um, but those eventually started to go away when I was treating, they kind of came back off and on. So I don't know if it was the combo of mast cell, some other things. Um, so that was another, another layer. <laughs> and Rachel, all those things you just described, we hear often that people get as a result of Lyme disease, they sort of go hand in hand in many cases. So you decided to treat for 10 months with antibiotics and in parallel using herbs and supplements and things like, like biocidin to, to kill off the, um, the biofilm. And then you decided to go off of the antibiotics and, and go strictly on a, a holistic herbal route. So talk to us about what your, how your health was at that 10 month mark when you went from antibiotics to solely herbals. So I definitely was, you know, it's better than, better than it was like when I first started, but um, like throughout the, the first 10 months, like the herxing was just, I mean, I literally, there were days where I was like, I'm going to die. I'm never going to make it out of this. I mean, I can't even explain <laughs> the awful. I don't know if you guys didn't got herxing, but um, horrific. So um, my kind of where I was in December and, and you know, I'm, I think now I'm doing a little bit better. It's, it's continuing to, to progress. But in December, I was still... You know, there were some days where I was seeing a little bit of glimpses of better and, um, you know, but I'm still basically like, I don't leave my house very often. You know, it's very difficult for me to do anything. So I've been extremely fortunate to keep my job and work from home this entire time. I'm so grateful to my team for being supportive and letting me do that. But my symptoms in December, I just you know, I talked to my doctor and I was like, he's like, I don't know. I just think this is, it's too much for you. Like you're too toxic. We just need to let's, let's take a break from the antibiotics. And immediately after getting off of my, I felt better in a lot of ways. Um, I have this ter terrified, you know, just thing in the back of my head that everything's going to come back now that I'm off antibiotics, but I'm, you know, we added in some more herbals and um, I'm doing a lot of detox. Um, I have an infrared sauna blanket that I'm using. I'm doing Epsom salt baths. I'm dry brushing. My diet is very strict. I'm on a lot of supplements, um, you know, a multivitamin with like reversitrol and 
um, NAC and, um, you know, occasionally I'll do some glutathione, although that seems to be a little bit too much for me. I'm on a binder um, for the toxins and the mold. Um, I've currently added nystatin uh, for the candida and actually found out that it also kills persister cells of all the things. So um, doing that and and I, you know, I think this, at this point, the next steps are just going to be to kind of layer in more herbs and, and just, you know, go that route because I'm, I don't know, I've been, I've been watching a lot of like Dr. Rawls and, and reading things like that. And I, I'm just feeling called to, to that being the next steps in my journey, because I just, I don't want to put any more poison in my body, you know, um, and Rachel, there's 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 a time and place for antibiotics, and it sounds like the route you have gone has been the route that many of our other guests have used to get to a successful outcome. You used antibiotics and herbals and supplements for a period of time, then you stopped, and you mentioned you have you had this fear of sort of getting sick again or or worse again once you went off the antibiotics, but you continued on with your herbals and your supplements and your detox protocol that you just described, and you're clearly still doing well because you just did a great job explaining everything on this podcast and you're, you're very, uh, did a great job at explaining everything you've done. So with that being said, how would you assess your health today? What would you say your health is at today compared to when you were really at your lowest? You know, it's like I said, I, I still can't, I still do not consider myself doing like having any sort of a normal life. Um, there's glimpses of it and there's hope. Um, but I'm doing so much better than I was a year ago. So I'm so grateful for that. Um, and I, I hope it'll just continue to get better. Um, but, but we're not there yet. <laughs> so Rachel, one of the things that we've talked about with many of our guests is that a Lyme journey is both a journey of achievement and a journey of transformation. And you've made some gains and you've begun to achieve some level of success with your health. Talk to us about how Lyme is changing you and helping you to learn more about yourself and learn more about your gifts. What are the beautiful elements that you're starting to see revealed to you about this journey? So I think the biggest thing is just my, like I, I will never take my life and my health for granted ever again. Um, you know, you don't, you, I guess you don't appreciate what you have until you don't have it. I mean, you know, being bedridden and housebound for almost two years is just something that I never thought I would go through. And, um, you know, it's like the, the moments that I'm feeling better, like I just, I realize that if I can just get it back, how much more I will appreciate life and how beautiful every moment is. Um, you know, my, my friendships mean so much to me. Um, and just, you know, it makes me want to just reach out to everyone in my life and let them know how much I love them and how special they are to me and just not, you know, not take anything for granted. I, I, there are some friends that just haven't really understood or haven't tried to reach out and, you know, but it's working with Jackie, I've kind of been, um, you, you really look at the deepest, darkest parts of yourself and, and try to grow and change from there and transform into this, you know, butterfly of yourself, so to speak. Um, it's, it's been, you know, it's been a really challenging process to kind of heal and, and work on healing and, and take every day, just like one step at a time. Um, Jackie says, I, I have a huge problem with future tripping. 
Um, but what I see for my future is just, I just want to help people now. Like I want to take my journey and do something to help people. And I think this is the first step with you guys today. So talk to us about how social media has helped you to first find a health coach, uh, somebody who has had a Lyme disease journey and what role that's played and how social media has helped you to recognize that you're not alone and that your experience is one that many other people are going through and how that's been helpful to you. So I think, you know, your podcast and many others, um, and again, just, just on Instagram, I'm not huge into like, I'm not all over Facebook or anything, but, um, listening to people's stories and what, what they're going through. And like, you know, on days that are really bad, like I'll go back and read Jackie's blogs about her darkest days. And it's like, okay, she was there. She got out of this, you know, it's, it, it helps you when you're in those dark moments. Um, but, but yeah you know, social media on Instagram, I would say I've, I've followed a few groups and a few people and, um, you know, it just, it really helps you to, to just know, like you said, that you're not alone. There are other people going through who understand this because, you know, unless you, unless you go through Lyme, I don't think, I don't think you can truly understand it. You know, I'm sure a lot of chronic illnesses are like this, but it's, it's just been something that I, it's hard to even explain, you know, so I, the handful of people that I really follow on social media and the friends, you know, I have another friend who I know through work, who's going through it too. And we just text a few times a week and just having that there, you know, and, and the people in your life who just, who listen to you and, you know, just listen to you cry or listen to you when you're having a bad day or, or rejoice in your moments where you, you know, put pants on today. Uh, you know, it's, it's just, um, I feel so loved by so many people in my life. And I feel, you know, it sounds crazy to say this, but I feel the love from these people I'm seeing on social media that are just people like me going through this, you know. So let's talk a little bit about health coaching. I can tell you that uh, before we started this podcast, I never heard of a health coach as <laughs> East Coasters. This is not uh, something that we typically see. Uh, and, and I will also have to confess that uh, when I first started hearing about health coaches, I kind of raised my brow, like, you know, why would we want a health coach and what would they do for us? Talk to us about what the analysis was for you and why you ultimately settled on the brilliant Jackie Shea. So like I said, I heard her on another podcast. Um, I think it was with Cindy Kennedy, if I'm remembering correctly her name. And I just said, man, like, I can really relate to this girl, you know, like she is, I just, I just felt like she's someone like me who has been through this and continues to go through this. And I just, so then I, I went on her, um, her website and I was reading things and I was like, you know what? I just, I just knew, you know, it's like, I really have learned in this process and even more so with Jackie, like to trust my own intuition, because if I hadn't, I still wouldn't know what's wrong with me. If I hadn't, I wouldn't be talking to Jackie. If I hadn't, I wouldn't be talking to you guys today. So I just, you know, it's like learning to trust yourself when so many others in the world doubt you. Um, but Jackie, to find her, I, I didn't really look at any others, to be honest. I just, I just knew she was the one I wanted to talk to. And, and um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a brutal process of really uncovering yourself and and, you know, the days when you're just really dark and you're having a pity party and she's like, okay, I hear you. 
let's have that pity party and then get over it and let's move on and do something productive. You know, like sometimes you just, you need that. Like, and sometimes you get it from people in your life, you know, people who love you that are saying things that you take initially as super hurtful, but then you're like, you know what, <laughs> they're right. And they love me. And they're only saying this because they love me. <laughs> well, and, you know, and that's part of what a coach does for you, right? I mean, one of the, one of the, I think the most virtuous elements of having a health coach is you have to build a team of people around you who will help you through the physical and emotional elements of your journey and having a coach to help you manage that team and build that team is important. But I think even more importantly, having a coach push you in ways that you're not going to push yourself and in ways that your family either shouldn't or couldn't push you is a really important element of having a coach and having a health coach who has a Lyme disease like Jackie Shea can do it in a way that I think no one else could, at least for someone in the Lyme community. Yes, I agree. So let me take you to the final question that we always ask our guests. And let's say, God forbid, your brother, who was such a wonderful person on your journey, came walking into your room right after you finished the podcast, and he had a tick biting him on his leg. What would you recommend that he do so he wouldn't have to go on a chronic Lyme disease journey the way you have? So what I didn't know, even, you know, once I learned more about Lyme, is that you really should save the tick and try to get it tested. Um, we've learned that. And actually through my journey, I've, there've been some people in my life that have gotten bitten and I, you know, freaked out. Um, but I think definitely get the tick tested. And I would say, you know, if I've learned anything, it seems that if antibiotics ever have a place in time, it's, it's immediately after you get bitten, but that still may not stop you from getting sick. Um, so I would tell them to find a Lyme literate doctor and go immediately. Don't even bother going to your standard, you know, primary care because it's typically not going to get you anywhere. Um, and then, you know, I, again, I'm, I'm really a big fan of the herbs now. Like I think there are a lot of things that you can start taking to boost your immune system and try to, to head it off before it becomes this chronic, awful thing that it takes years to get out of. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Rachel Barnes. To our listeners, we have a call to action. If you'd like to learn more about Rachel Barnes and her Lyme disease journey, please visit our Instagram page at rachelbarnes2219. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of our post. Third, we here at Tick Bootcamp have created a Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been provided to us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get our automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review and rating on iTunes or on our website. Thank you, as always, for listening.